Well, we're in this series of messages called Fruition. You'll find it helpful to pull out your message outline. And uh, what we're doing is looking at how we can live the kind of life that we're meant to live. And the word fruition means to achieve something or the state of action of producing fruit. And that's why what we're doing, uh, we're going to be looking at the fruit of the Spirit and how, when we display the different fruits of the Spirit in our lives, we live the type of lives that God created us to live. And two weeks ago, when we began this series, I kind of gave you a, a foundation, if you like, a sort of a, a, an overview as to what it is to become and be like Christ. And what we're going to do is, over the next nine weeks, in fact, uh, we're going to unpack each one of these fruits. And this morning, we're going to look at the first fruit of the Spirit, and that is love. Now we talk about love, we sing about love, we try to find love, we look for love, we want to find more love. Ultimately, it's only love that can change us into the type of people we want to become, the kind of people who love. Now I don't know about you, but I want love in my life. And I want, to love, I want that love to flow through me in my life. Now love first kicked in for me as a teenager when I started dating this girl named Sarah. She was 15, and I was 16, and I felt so much love for her. Uh, we would go out, I can remember sitting in the cinema, and she would sit there with her hand on her knee, kind of just begging me to hold it. And, uh, and I'd look at her hand, and I would kind of get a little bit, you know, I wanted to hold her hand so badly, of course I did, but you kind of get shy, don't you? And, uh, and my hands would start sweating, and my heart would beat out of my chest, and, and I'd look over at her hand just lying there, and eventually, I reached over and I held her hand and we interlocked fingers. Man, this is what love is, I thought. Ah, and the first time I kissed her, it didn't last that long, but I didn't care. Uh, I kissed her and I got home that night. I had no clue how I got home. What road did I take? I had no idea. I just floated home. Because I was in love. It felt good to be in love. And I can remember that same girl walking down the aisle of the church in a beautiful white dress. Sarah looks stunning. Yeah, all right, all right. I look about 12, don't I? Look at the size of those glasses. They're like double glazing, aren't they? And I know, I know, I'm punching way above my weight. So, you know, I'll just say what you're all thinking. But, you know, I, I, the pastor asked the question. I said, I do. Sarah said, well, I suppose so. <laughs> and, uh, and we walked down the aisle, arm in arm, as husband and wife. And I thought, this is what love is like. Five years later, I watched the same girl go through an hours of labour for our first child, Ethan, who was born into the world. And again, four years later, when our daughter, Afia, was born. And then it finally hit me. This is what love is really like. To have a wife and a children that I love so much, and years later, a daughter-in-law and soon to be a son-in-law. This is what love is. In the words of the great theologian, Forrest Gump, I may not be a smart man, but I know what love is. And I've learned that love is not some involuntary act of a hormone that just overtakes you. It's an act of the will. It is a choice. It is a decision that we make. And at times, it can be a difficult choice, sometimes, to consistently make without the constant help of God in your life. And so it's no wonder that the ancient Greeks had three different words for love. Probably the one you're most familiar with is the word eros. It was taken from Greek mythology, from what they called the god of love or the god of eros. Eros is a sexual kind of love that says, what can I get for me? 
Eros is the kind of love that seeks to satisfy itself. It seeks to conquer and to control. Another word for love is philio. Filio is kind of a sort of a brotherly love, a sort of a friendship kind of love, based on the fact that we like one another, we want to spend time with each other, we want to have that kind of friendship connection. We've got something in common, and we'll hang out together, and we'll express this common bond love that we have for each other. But there is another word used throughout the New Testament to describe the type of love that God has, and the type of love that actually God wants us to show, to express to each other, and that Greek word is the word agape. Now, many of you have heard that term before, I guess. But agape love is that drain-the-ocean-dry-trying-to-describe-it kind of love. Agape is the in spite of love, in spite of how I feel, in spite of what you did, in spite of who you are, in spite of what my circumstances are. Agape love is fueled by the needs of other people instead of our own selfish ambition or desires. Agape honours other people as better than myself. Agape is an action kind of love that gets into my hands and into my feet and my wallet and it makes it on my to-do list. Agape is this supernatural difference-making love that I want so desperately flowing through me as a husband, as a dad, as a friend and as a pastor. Now if you're attending a wedding, you've probably heard that reading 1 Corinthians 13 that was read earlier on particularly verses 4 through 7, which says this. Paul says, Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Love does not demand its own way. Love is not irritable, and it keeps no record of when it has been wronged. It is never glad about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith. It always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Now, there's a little test you can do with this to kind of check your heart to see if your heart has been expanding or not. Take this passage and take the words out, love is, and instead change those words, insert two words to I am. Just to see, am I kind? Am I patient? Is that, is that true about me? Am I these kinds of things? Not love is, but I am. Because life, you see, is to be all about love. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, he says, let love be your highest goal. Not, not kind of one of your priorities. It doesn't say love ought to make it to your top 10 list of things you ought to be, get, to be better at. It says, let love be your highest goal. Not status, not success, not possessions, not even comfort or money. Paul says you should make as your number one lifestyle Love. Why? Why does Paul say that? Well, because God is love and he wants you to be like him. The Bible tells us that God created everything in the universe out of love. He made everything in order to love it. And because God is love. It doesn't say he has love. The Bible says he is love. He created you as an object of his love. And if you're a follower of Christ, God wants you to be like him. So he created you to learn how to love. In fact, you were put on this planet to learn how to do that. I mean, think about it. Why didn't God just create you and take you to heaven? 
Why does he let you, say, spend 60, 70, 80, 90, maybe more years on a broken world where there is sin and there is suffering and sorrow and sadness and problems and pressures and stress? Why, why didn't God just kind of create us and then take us directly to heaven? Because it's far better there. Why does he put you here on earth? Why does he leave us here? Well, he allows you here on earth in order to learn to love because life is all about learning how to love, to love better, to love well. In fact, Galatians 5, verse 6, Paul says, the only thing that counts, and that's pretty strong. In the original language, it's very strong in the way it's written. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And one day, Jesus was walking down the street and a guy came up to him and he said, Lord, what is the most important command in all of the Bible? What really matters the most? Of all the things that are in the Bible, what is the thing, what one thing should I focus on? And Jesus says, I can do that. I can summarise the entire Bible for you in two sentences. And if you get these two things, then you get it. You understand life. You understand why you were created. This is what life is all about, he says. It's called the Great Commandment. It's found in Mark 12, verses 30 and 31. Jesus says this. He says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. And love your neighbour as yourself. There are no commands more important than these. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Jesus said nothing is more important than these two things. Learn to love God with all your heart and learn to love everybody else. He said, if you get those two things, you've got it. You understand life. Because life is all about learning to love. Think about it like this. Kind of think back ten years. What has really grown in your life in the last ten years? Many of us have bigger families. We have bigger houses. Some of us have got bigger waistlines than we had ten years ago. The question is, do we have bigger hearts? Because, you see, that's what counts. Do we love more deeply than we did ten years ago? I mean, if it's the only thing that counts, then I, I want to spend my life learning how to love God and Sarah and my kids and my family and my church and my friends and the forgotten and the lonely and the left out. And the only shot I have of making that work is to hook up in a discipleship, apprentice-type relationship with Jesus and learn from the Master and learn what it means to really love, to love well, to love better. Look at what Jesus said to his followers one day. He got them all in the room and he says this in John 13, verse 34. So now I'm giving you a new commandment, love each other. Well, what's so new about that? They'd heard that before. Well, here's what's new. He says, just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Just as you've watched me interact with the unlovely, he says, the untouchable and the unwanted. Just as you've watched me move among everyone, from the little kids who wanted to climb all over me, from my envious enemies that, that wanted to kill me, just as I have loved you patiently and sacrificially and unconditionally, that's how you're supposed to love. And eventually he would show them the ultimate act of love when he would die on a cross for their sins. That's what makes this new commandment new. This was a kind of love they'd never seen before until Jesus showed up and got involved in their lives. And they may not have been smart men, but they knew what love was. Because now, Jesus had demonstrated it to them. 
He humbled himself every day of his life and he chose to treat everybody as more important than himself. You know, if we want to live the type of life God made us to live, if we want to be a disciple of Jesus, we must learn to love like he did. But how? In our fallen world, where every heart and relationship is marred, broken and damaged by sin, how can we love like Jesus? Because you see, learning to love unselfishly, this is not an easy task, is it? Because it runs counter to our self-centred nature. We want to be loved, we don't necessarily want to love everybody. And so it challenges us. It runs counter our self-centred nature. And it's only God's word that can teach us to love in a kind of way that heals and restores and deepens relationships. And only Jesus can give us the power to love that way. Now this is a big subject when it comes to love, but I want to give you this morning some kind of takeaways and give you three steps that you can start to take to love like Jesus. The first one is this, love must be inclusive. Now I use that word because, again, this word unfortunately has been hijacked today, hasn't it? This whole nature of inclusivity and, and all these kinds of things. But, but, but I see that love must be inclusive like this because we hate to be excluded, don't we? Doesn't it just feel awful when you feel excluded? When you feel like they don't want you? When people don't want to see, seem like they don't want you around or kind of, it just makes you, it, it just feels awful to be excluded. You, you, it makes you feel kind of second class, doesn't it? it? Makes you feel a little bit inferior to other people. But real love Genuine love is never exclusive. Love always honours and it always includes. And it includes everyone. In fact, Jesus was always getting into trouble because of the kind of people he included in his circle of love. There's an example of this in Mark 2, verses 15 through 17. That night, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to be his dinner guests, along with his fellow tax collectors and many other notorious sinners. There were many people of this kind among the crowds that followed Jesus. Isn't that interesting? Mark includes that there. Those people that perhaps most people wouldn't want to be with, there were many following Jesus. But when some of the teachers of religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with people like that, they said to his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call sinners not those who think they are already good enough. And Jesus included people that the religious leaders of the day, who were very exclusive, had labelled notorious sinners. He would show up at a home of a dishonest tax collector that, uh, that nobody else could stand, and he would eat dinner with them. In other words, he would fellowship with them, he would connect with them. One of the deepest ways you do that is when you fellowship and eat a meal with someone. Jesus would show respect and love to prostitutes who only knew what it felt to be wanted for a few minutes of a night and then thrown away for the rest of their lives. In the midst of a busy day, he would tell his disciples, let the little children come over here to me. I, I don't see them as interruptions because back in that time, children were annoying. They were seen as second class, lower than women. That's how they were seen. And Jesus says, no, no, let them come. They're not interruptions. I see them as a chance to love. He included everybody because that's what love does. It is inclusive. And every day Jesus chose to consider everybody better than himself. And as a disciple of his, that's 
the love he calls us to. See, Jesus gave this famous talk one day. It's called the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. This is what Jesus says in verses 43 through 45. You've heard that the law of Moses says, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust too. Jesus says to him, he says, look, you're familiar with the old written law, love your friend. And the fake law, the one these religious leaders have made up, hate your enemy. Jesus says, but I'm challenging that. I'm telling you to love your enemies. And this is what God does. You realise that God gives his best, the sun to warm and the rain to nourish to everyone, regardless of whether they love God or not. The good and the bad, the nice and the nasty. Jesus is saying anybody can love the lovable, anybody can do the eros thing, anybody can manufacture a little bit of filio on their own, but I'm talking about agape love. I'm talking about God's love flowing through you. Real love. Agape love. God's love says, I have decided. I've made a conscious choice to treat poor people, rich people, beautiful people, not so beautiful people, celebrities, nobodies, my spouse, my family, my boss, my work colleagues, other races, treat everyone better than myself. Because that's how God treats me. You see, when God's love permeates your life, you will start to include in your circle of love the same kind of people that Jesus included in his. Because if I spend time with him, and I learn from Jesus, and I allow him to work on me from the inside out, I can actually start loving like him. So love must be inclusive. Secondly, love must be approachable. It's really interesting that as you study Jesus' life, you see that he was so approachable. So many people wanted to spend time with Jesus and approach him. You see lots of examples of this, but one example is found in Luke 17, where Jesus heals ten lepers. Back in Jesus' day, if a person got leprosy, which was this awful skin disease, it would attack your skin and eventually your entire nervous system. And it was, um, it, it, it was very contagious. And if you got leprosy, basically you lost everything. You lost your family, you lost your job, you lost your dignity, you lost your home. In fact, very often you would be quarantined in a kind of refugee camp, a kind of leper colony where you had to live. And if you ventured out among the people, you had to shout, you had to announce that you were coming by saying, I'm unclean. And nobody would get around you, especially religious rabbis. It was against the law to bump into a rabbi because they were so close to God, apparently, and you couldn't bump into anything that was unclean, and a leper was seen as unclean. Isn't it ironic, though, that the person that the lepers would bump into on one occasion was God himself, Jesus, because Jesus was so approachable, so they came to him. The question we must continually ask ourselves is this, am I approachable? Now, approachability is not the same as availability. You, can always be avail- you can't always be available, but when we are available, we should want to be the type of person that no one would be intimidated around. 
that people would come to and feel the love of God flowing through us. Philippians 2.5 says, your attitude should be the same, that as the, sh- the same that Christ Jesus had. We should be like him. What was his attitude? Well, he loved. He was approachable. People loved being around him. I want to learn from him what it means to be approachable. So let me ask you, or ask yourself, how approachable are you? Are you approachable or do you always have to be right? Those of you who are at work, do you intimidate? Do you power up on people? Or are you approachable? Are you the person that people seek out to chat with, to kind of talk through work issues and challenges? Parents, whatever age your children are, but can your kids come to you and talk to you about anything? Absolutely anything. Would your kids say that you're approachable? Why don't you ask them? See, love is approachable because God is approachable. And God is love. Ephesians 3 verse 12 says, Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come fearlessly into God's presence, assured of his glad welcome. Love must be approachable. Thirdly, love must reach out. Because you see, Jesus was not only approachable, but he would also go on the offensive and he would approach people himself. He would touch the untouchables because love reaches out. And when we start to look at the people that Jesus looked, that, that Jesus looked at these people, when we, when we start to look at them, when we see how Jesus interacted with them, we'll start to see that no one is untouchable. Everybody needs to be reached. 1 John 4, 20 uh, to 21 says this very bluntly. If anyone boasts, I love God, and goes right on hating his brother or sister, thinking nothing of it, he is a liar. If he won't love the person he can see, how can he love the God he can't see? The command we have from Christ is blunt. Loving God includes loving people. You've got to love both. One day, when you die, you're going to stand before God, and God's going to evaluate your life. He's not going to look at your bank account or or your whole list of accomplishments. He's not even going to look at your CV or how well you've done in life. God is going to evaluate your life on one basis, your relationships. God is going to ask, how much did you love me and how much did you love other people? Because you see, the Bible is very clear that love is the primary objective, the supreme value in life. 1 John 3.18 says, Dear children, Let us stop saying we love each other. Let us really show it by our actions. Love is a commitment which is shown in our actions. Love keeps on giving whether you like it or not. Love keeps on keeping on. Love, you see, is something you do. And because love is a commitment, then acting in love when you don't feel it at all is the highest form of love. It's a more mature love when you act loving to a person when they're responding to you or or you don't feel that they're responding to you. They may even be rejecting you. I mean, it's easy to love somebody who loves you, isn't it? But, but, But real love does the loving thing when they don't deserve it, when they don't respond, or when you don't feel like loving that person. And if your heart is expanding, then love will be shown in your actions. And if not, then you need to ask yourself that question. Why haven't I grown in the last 10 years? How come I can't say, yeah, yeah, I'm more loving than I used to be 10 years ago? 
And sometimes as we probe more deeply, we find that we don't love more deeply, mostly because we are just moving way too fast in life. We're just flying through life, places to go, things to do, goals to achieve, kids to shuttle around. We move so fast, and the faster you move, you don't even notice people, let alone try to love them. And Jesus said very clearly, love your neighbour as yourself. Well, that's a hard thing to do if you never see them. Or you don't even know their name because you're just moving way too fast. Maybe the most loving thing you could do is to slow down. Have a look around the people that are around you, that are in your life. Because if love is going to be your highest goal, you're going to have to slow down so that you can see the people that God has placed around you so you can love them. Or maybe as you probe beneath the surface, you'll find the problem is you've been moving so fast that you're just exhausted. You're running on fumes. And it's no secret, it takes energy to love other people. At times, most of the time in fact, it can be physically, mentally, emotionally and spiritually depleting. It takes a lot of energy to love, doesn't it? But as you walk with Jesus, you will discover that he constantly unplugged and he had regular times of rest and replenishment and times with God, his Father. He would just head to the mountains sometimes to kind of get away from it all or he'd get in a boat and just go for a sail or, or he took a nap in the bottom of a boat. He would go to a solitary place and rest and pray. Why? So that he could pursue love as the highest goal of his life. Do you know, sometimes the most spiritual thing you could do is just rest and replenish so that you can love with all that you've got. That might mean going to bed earlier, or eating healthier, or staying in shape, or putting breaks in your schedule, taking regular days off, being consistent in a daily quiet time with God, spending time in prayer, being in church consistently where your spiritual tank can be refilled and refilled. Because we all leak, don't we? And it takes every ounce of energy if love is going to be your highest goal. But if Jesus were to point out our biggest problem in the way we love, it's that we're using the wrong power source. We're trying to do it on our own. We say, well, okay, I'm going to love better. Yep, okay, Phil, I've got that. I'm going to love better. I'm going to try much harder at this loving kind of thing. Well, that's a recipe for failure. We need to plug into the right power source. That's the kind of love, you see, that's just based on feelings. But then there is this this supernatural kind of love, this energised kind of love, way different than just kind of the normal love. It's a love that is powered by a supernatural power source. And we are told what it is in that verse that I put on those little cards for you to memorise a couple of weeks ago. We're told in Galatians 5, 22 to 23, when the Holy Spirit controls our lives... He will produce this kind of love in this kind of fruit in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's quite a list, isn't it? And did you notice which one is on top? Love. This verse says that he, the Holy Spirit, will produce these things in us. That's the power source that makes love work. Not us trying to get better at it. It's allowing him to put that love in and out of us. In fact, look what it says in 2 Peter 1 verse 3. As we know Jesus better, his divine power gives us everything we need for living a godly life. And I think the reasons why we, many of us struggle with love is that we're not using the right power source. 
we aren't taking time to slow down and to get to know Jesus better. Paul talks about God's great power in Ephesians 1, verses 19 through 20. He says, I pray that you'll begin to understand how incredibly great his power is to help those who believe him. It is that same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. So God's divine power was at work when it raised Jesus back to life. The Bible says that as a disciple of Jesus, when I allow him to start working on the inside out, the same power that blew a rock off a tomb that gave life to the dead Jesus is available and at work in me. That same power. And that's the power source I want to be running on. To have the Holy Spirit controlling my life, guiding me, stretching me, convicting me, loving me, as I intentionally humble myself and allow him to lead me every single day, as I watch and as I study and learn and walk with and try to imitate Jesus. There is this unexplainable surge of power and energy that allows me to love in ways I never thought possible. And it's a power to serve your spouse when you're tired, to treat them with affection and tenderness without expecting anything in return. It's the power to set aside all your important to-do things and spend time, quality time, with your children. It's the power to postpone something you want to do because you have a friend who needs you at that moment. It's the power to love that person in your family who shows no love to you back. It's the power to reach out to a friend who is hurting, who is angry, who wants to lash out at you, but you respond in love and patience and kindness and seek to show understanding. Now, I want that kind of love in my life, don't you? I want that love flowing through me because it's the only thing that counts. And my suspicion is this, that all of us need a lot of work in this area. We have all got a lot of growing to do in mature love. And the only way you can have that love surging through your life is to know the love of God for you and to invite him to get supernaturally involved, changing you from the inside out. Because the ultimate expression of love is when Jesus stretched out his hands on the cross and said, I love you this much. No matter who you are, no matter what you have done, I love you this much. I will die for you. And the Bible says that you need to receive God's gift of love. John 3.16 tells us that. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God came to earth in human form, in the person of Jesus Christ, and gave himself to us. Why? Why was that necessary? Why did he do that? Because somebody has to pay for all the things that I have done wrong. Either we've got to pay the penalty for it or somebody else does. And God says, I will do it myself. I love you that much, I will pay for it. And he didn't just say it, he showed it. He proved it in the most expensive way. He came and he died on the cross for us and he sacrificed himself for us. And when they nailed those hands, those those nails into his hands and those nails that were going straight into his hands and into his feet, they were going straight into the heart of God. That was love at the first degree. It was the greatest love ever seen. God loves you more than you will ever know. His love is based on who he is, 
God's love is unconditional. It, it's not based on whether you can earn it because you will never be able to earn this love because it's already offered to you freely. And God is never going to love you any more or any less than he does this very second. You say, but, but you don't know some of the things that I've done wrong. God certainly wouldn't love me after that. No, no, no. God loves you. Jesus died for you. He wants you to know how much he loves you. The question is, what will you do with the love that God is offering you? Will you turn away? Or will you run to the love and acceptance and forgiveness and the eternal life that he offers you? You see, God sent Jesus to die on the cross for your sins to prove how much he loves us. And if you've never committed your life to him, I want to say to you, do that today. That's what God invites you to do. Because notice the rest of this verse says, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Only those who have repented of their sin, who have asked for God's forgiveness, and who believe and trust what Jesus Christ did, only then is heaven a certainty for you. Only then can you anticipate God's promise of eternal life with him in heaven. In fact, eternal life starts as soon as you become a follower of Jesus. Because you get life, real life a commitment to him, and you get real, genuine life and meaning and purpose day by day. You have that supernatural power to love that's indwelt in you by the Holy Spirit. You get so many benefits. Don't, it's not like waiting until you get to heaven. As soon as you become a follower of Christ. And when you commit your life to him in repentance and faith, then you go and live for him. You want to glorify him and honour him. And we love because Jesus loved us. 1 John 4, 9 through 11 says, God showed how much he loved us by sending his only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. It is not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. Do you see how it works? Love is what matters the most. As I close, I want to give you an opportunity to do that little exercise I spoke about earlier on. Let's put those verses on the screen, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. And for the next couple of minutes, I just want you to be still. I know it's warm, but I just want you to take a moment and just do a little heart check. And when you see the words, love is, insert, I am, in your mind, or maybe a form that's appropriate there. Ask yourself, ask God to reveal to you where it is that you need to have your heart expanded. So let's just do that for a moment or two, just quietly now. Read those verses, and as I said, where it says love is, insert I am. quite challenging isn't it when you say I am because it makes you look makes you check your heart doesn't it but this is God's word God's word speaks to us if we allow it and challenges us to make a difference not in our own strength 
but by the supernatural power we get through Christ and through his spirit. Why don't we pray together? Let's pray. And Lord God, we look at that list and we go, I'm so grateful for the way in which you're changing me. And then we look at it and we go, wow, I've got a long way to go. So thank you for being patient with us and for doing the work from the inside out on us. And as we did that little exercise, often your Holy Spirit points out some glaring things that we need to give to you and say, God, help me here. I can't help myself with this one. Lord, thank you for being willing to move into us, to change us from the inside out, to put the same power that raised Jesus from the dead in our lives. The Bible says that God helps those who admit they can't help themselves. They need a power source greater than they are to love the way he wants us to love. So I want to invite you today to open your heart and invite Jesus Christ in so you can start loving the way that God wants you to. And if you've never begun a relationship with Jesus, you can start that today. And I want to invite you simply just to pray. Maybe pray quietly in your heart these words. As I say them out loud, you might just want to echo them quietly in your heart or just simply say, me too, Lord. Dear Jesus, I don't understand it all, but I want a relationship with you. I thank you for loving me. I thank you for coming to earth for me. I thank you for giving your life for me so I could go to heaven. I accept your free gift of forgiveness and salvation. I'm sorry that my sin put you on the cross. In repentance and faith, I ask you to forgive me. I want you to be the saviour and lord of my life. You are in charge of my life from here on out and I want to learn to trust you and to love you and to fulfil your purpose for my life. Father, we thank you for being here today. Thank you for teaching us about love. Help us to do these things, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.